Hey guys, welcome back to The Noble Broker. I am your host, Jonathan Lickstein. On The Noble Broker, we speak with producers and professionals because we are more than just people in this profession. We have interests, we have passions, we have families, we have lives outside of our business. So today I want to welcome a professional and a producer who I've had the pleasure of working with, Gus Martinez. Welcome, Gus. Thank you, Jonathan. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to have you here. Gus is coming from a different angle than most of our guests that we've had uh, on this this series so far. Uh, Gus is a commercial broker focusing in Miami-Dade and Broward counties, mostly on office and industrial uh, style properties. So very different from the marketers, the lenders, the residential brokers, residential agents that we've had on here. You're going to give us a different perspective and I can't wait. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me today. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's my world, office and industrial. Um, I do run a team, a team of four agents and myself, and a few other uh, admin people uh, that are on my team as well. But, uh, but yeah, so I focus on the, the four different areas of, uh, of commercial real estate. Um, I work on the uh, listing side, which is uh, landlord side or seller side uh, representation. And then my team works on buyer side and tenant side. Okay. Uh, so I started as a tenant broker. Uh, I started learning the street, as I call it. Uh, learning what people will pay for rent. Learning what it is that, uh, that landlords give and don't give as far as concessions, as far as term, as far as uh, any type of uh, help to get, uh, to get a tenant in or incentives. Um, is that a natural progression? Most people start on the tenant side of things or the buyer side of things? and progress, create their network, have those relationships to then be on the other side? Correct, okay. correct. So what happens is uh, if you don't know what's going on in the street, you will never be able to speak to a, an owner and say, yes, this is what's going on. This is what people are looking for. This is what you should be doing. And so if you can't uh, speak to that to a, to a landlord, uh, you will not be able to uh, convince them to go ahead and have you represent them. Okay. I feel like there's a direct correlation, residential, same side. I mean, we start rentals, then buyers, and then landlords and, and, and sellers at the same time, kind of progressing straight through. So I see a lot of that, that correlation. Um, is, it, is it always, do you always suggest that somebody starts on the tenant side of things on the lease, on a lease versus a purchase uh, to gain more of that street knowledge? Uh, how would somebody gain that street knowledge? Uh, they would start. Um, they would start by investigating an area. They would start by investigating a uh, group or category of commercial real estate. Just like you said that I do office and industrial. There's plenty of other agents that do multifamily. There's uh, or retail or land, or even hospitality. Uh, then we have that little um, cousin all the way in the corner called uh, business brokerage, <laughs> and that one's a, that's the cousin you want to stay away from. I'll tell you a little about that later. But, um, but yeah, so uh, that situation is um, what, what really, what, what, and the reason I became a tenant broker is because I'm going to tell you a little bit about my past and how I got to this point. Love it. Right? So, so the reason I became a tenant broker is because I was a tenant. So I came here from Chicago when I was 24 years old. Um, big aspirations to be an entrepreneur and um, got a job. And within six months, I had bought my first business. And that was a Gold's Gym in Miami. Nice. So I was already a tenant. Had a 10,000 square foot box uh, right across from FIU and did very well. Uh, ended up selling it in 
1995, uh, and then uh, opened up three more clubs. One right down the street here. On uh, my last one was right down the street here. It was on uh, on Sample and Federal. Okay. And um, so those clubs, uh, when I was looking for brokers, when I would call signs because I don't think we even had email back then, or if we did, it was not used too much. This is early 90s, right? Early 90s, mid 90s, and then finally the late 90s. Uh, but uh, by that time, everything had already started to kick in on, right. on the email side. But, um, but yeah, so, so I would call, and I would call, and I would just call everybody that had availability signs, some kind of sign on the road, just trying to get into retail spaces. Uh, because retail is what has the zoning for gyms, and that that was my that was my thing. So I had the firm fitness centers. Um, I had one in, uh, in in Boynton Beach. I had one in Fort Lauderdale, and then I had the the last one, which was over here in uh, in Pompano Beach slash Lighthouse Point. Um, but uh, in 2002, I got tired of uh, handling so many employees, and I sold out. Um, all, all three clubs uh, went to uh, went into a commercial real estate. And then what I told myself was, since everyone is so unprofessional on the landlord side of retail, it was really my, my exposure to commercial mm -hmm. real estate, I said, if they're this unprofessional, I'm just going to answer everybody's calls. I'm going to return everybody's calls. I'm going to show them spaces. And, uh, and I don't see how, how I could fail in the, at this business. So everybody that joins my team, I teach them that. I tell them the story. Uh, we learn. And then at that point, they know that, yeah, get back to everybody no matter what. Even if you're getting five phone calls or I might get ten phone calls during this podcast. doesn't matter. I'll get back to everybody. And make sure, you, know, make sure you, you work with the brokers. Make sure you work with tenants. Make sure you work with buyers, sellers, whatever it might be. With whatever comes across. Exactly right. I appreciate you leading that charge. There, there are so many times where I've gone down the commercial pathway for a deal here or there. I haven't done a ton of commercial, but I've done enough to know what I'm doing. Yeah. And at least to get a courtesy call back or a response or by email, by phone, by something, get me some information. I'm trying to help me and I'm trying to help you. And they don't even come back. And I mean, you see that on both sides of the equation. Um, so that's your, that's your origin story. That's what made you get into commercial real estate was your own experiences and doing it better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So you, you mentioned your team when you first got into the business, you didn't have a team from day one. No individual, individual agent. Yeah. So you got to the point of formulating what you needed or how you wanted to structure things or what type of person you wanted to bring on your team. How did you set that up and was it an evolution? Or have you always been structured this way since you started the team? Not at all. Not at all. I was always an individual agent. Um, back from 2002, I worked with uh, EWM. They had a commercial division, so I worked with EWM Commercial. Uh, then I went to Comreal, which is strictly a commercial uh, firm mm -hmm. uh, in Dade and Broward Counties. Uh, and then from there, um, I went to KW in 2010, and then KW... They started teaching me. I started going to the classes, and I started learning about a team because I didn't know much about a team. And then I started to leverage my time and leverage my, my the, the leads I would get in, and uh, and that's kind of how it started with uh, learning about how to how to do that. Okay, um, if an agent, I mean, you found your path very early on. 
and that's very rare for, for agents. When they come in, they think, I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna work residential, I'm gonna work commercial, I'm gonna know buyers, I'm gonna know sellers, I'm gonna know the zoning, I'm gonna know everything, because I just know it all, right? Um, but when they're coming in, how, where would someone start if they wanted to go down the commercial pathway? Is it hitting the streets? Well, no, because they don't know what to look for. Exactly. So, so where, where, where would someone start? So I think what they, where they would start is they would have to, um, to start taking classes uh, from uh, the board, from your own brokerage, uh, from there's a lot of coaches out there nowadays that actually coach in commercial real estate and do mentorship in, 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 uh, in commercial real estate. Uh, we actually have one of our board members that, uh, that uh, is uh, working with agents on, on mentorship. Oh. Yeah. So, um, uh, in, in our board. Um, um, so, but anyway, uh, the, the story with that is that we have um, uh, an agent that, that wants to learn, but they have to start taking classes. They have to start investigating on, okay, so I want to do retail. What do I do? Where do I find other retail agents? Where do I find businesses that would, that would lease or buy retail uh, stores? And once you start figuring that out, like there's a company called ICSC, or it's an organization, and they're strictly shopping centers. And so they're the biggest retail organization in the United States. So that's where you find all the retail brokers at. Um, probably I should have gone there when I was in the gym business, <laughs> but I didn't know anything Hindsight. about that. Hindsight yeah, exactly, 2020. Exactly right. So I didn't know, but, uh, but uh, I was never really wanting to go into, into retail. I was always more interested in office and industrial. That was kind of always my thing. I think the reason is because there's an organization uh, called SIOR, Society of Industrial and um, Office uh, Realtors. Um, so that's, my, that's my, my, my goal one day is to get there. I've just been too busy to even get there and take all their classes and kind of go through the same thing you've probably heard about at CCIN. Yes. you got to go through all their steps and I just haven't had the time, just been too busy, uh, you know, building business. Running the business. Yep. Right? Is there a different type of person or a different type of agent that would lean more towards one niche inside the commercial uh, industry? Or or is it really just runs the gamut across the board? Well, first of all, uh, the uh, Jonathan, the type of agent that I would say that is ripe for commercial real estate is an agent that has business training has worked business-to-business -business sales. Uh, that type of agent is the type of agent that at least has a chance of sitting down with a tenant, with a landlord, with a seller, a buyer, and say, okay, you know, let's go ahead and go through your financials, see if, see if, you, if you, we, I think you would qualify, and therefore now we can present you to a landlord or present you to a bank if you're looking to purchase. Okay. Uh, those are the type of, uh, of, of ideas that we have to understand until we understand that um, it's just, you know, I guess give me whatever you want to give me and I'll see if I can go ahead and pass this through. Well, that doesn't work out too well for the agent uh, because normally a tenant or a uh, buyer will see through that and they'll, and they'll be like, no, let me find me somebody else. I mean, you're dealing with, more often than not, educated consumers. You're, you're not Absolutely. dealing with an emotional purchase, an emotional transaction. You're dealing with a business owner that's either opening a location, expanding a location, or trying to relocate from an already operating business. Exactly right. Uh, so you need to know how to talk the talk as a business person, a business owner, uh, instead of just someone who's representing and 
marketing, essentially. Um, I feel like you need to know a lot more about the actual process and application of that business and that space compared to residential where it's so many bedrooms, so many bathrooms in such an area. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So for that reason, uh, yes, you know, you got to get to know a little bit about the company uh, because even if you're given a list and say, okay, call these brokers, they're going to start asking you questions. The, the landlord brokers, and right? they, you won't know or the, the seller to brokers. Them. If you don't know the answers to them, they're not gonna they're not gonna give you any information. Then they they're not they're not gonna get back to you, or if, even if even if you know because you're gonna leave them some kind of message or an email or something, and they probably won't get back to you because they don't know you. And what these brokers think, right? All the big houses, right? You know, I'm not gonna give all the names, but all the big no names markets. necessary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so what happens is um, they go ahead and. If they don't know you, they're never going to work with you. They're never going to contact you. And so that's where the issue of you've run into and so on and so forth mm-hmm. sometimes when, when you're trying to do some commercial real estate, you know, of course, we always find people that are like myself, they're willing to, to, to call you back and willing to, to contact you back. But, um, but there's a lot of them that they, if they don't know the, other, the person on the other side, they're like, listen, I'm not going to do all the work. And this person probably didn't check their financials, has no idea if these, if, or this person has any money to go ahead and purchase, uh, probably hasn't checked with the bank, and so we're not going to go ahead and... Automatically know, writing them off that it's not going to happen. Yep, because they know eventually they're going to get a broker that's going to come through that they know, and they're going to go ahead and, and, and work with them. So would, is there anything that you feel is more important or vital to an agent's success when they're starting out, trying to break their way into the commercial side of the business, than a mentor. Anything more. Is no. there anything more important than a mentor? Starting nothing, off. Nothing more important than a mentor. I love that. Love Absolutely. to hear that. Second, second place would be classes, but, but first would be, uh, would be definitely. I feel like the mentor would tell you which classes to take, but the classes won't help you find the mentor. Correct. There you go. Well, they may. They may. They may. It could not. be the instructor, <laughs> right? You never yeah. know. You yeah. never know who you're going to meet there. Exactly. Um, so what I love, and Gus, we haven't really had deep conversations, but... I feel like I've gotten a lot from you in, in the comments that I've seen you make in, in professional meetings, that you are someone who is very much uh, focused on educating everyone that's around you and doing, quote unquote, the right thing. So the fact that you're volunteering your time when there is so much more financially beneficial things to do with your time, I appreciate that very much. And it gives me a different perspective or perception of you and who you are than anybody else might get from the outside who doesn't know you as well. Same thing. So last year you were the Realtor Commercial Alliance president, and this year you're running another organization, again, giving your time back to help governance and progression of your industry as a whole. Correct. So tell me about the current one that you're working with, the SFOBA. We're so going gonna to list all SFOBA, the SFOBA, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not, I'm current. I am the current president, but I have been probably for five years. Okay. So, and that's, I think, actually how uh, they found out from the board and they said, wait a second, this guy's the president of the SFOBA. Let's get, a, let's get him into the RCA. And that's how, that's how, it, that's how it worked out. But, uh, but that being said, uh, SFOBA is, is just, you know, it's kind of like this today. We're, we're doing a one-to-one here, mm-hmm. but over there it's a 30-to-one a or a 40-to-one. You know, so we, we've had up to 60 agents in a, in a room. Uh, we're actually having our uh, upper Cypress Creek Road uh, 95. We're having one of our uh, meetings uh, this Thursday. So we we tend to meet 
uh, once a month or once a quarter uh, so we can kind of just talk and network and kind of understand, okay, this is what I have because you know commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what do you have. It's not, it's not what did you put on LoopNet, what did you put on CoStar, what did you put on Crexy. It's what do you really have. It's what do you really have, all right? What is, what is, what is in the background? And so I'm going to tell you about my tenant. I'm going to tell you about my buyer. I'm going to tell you about my building that's for lease or for sale. And at that point, all of a sudden, Jonathan's going to say, wait a second. We're looking for an office space like that. We're looking for an industrial space like that, whatever it might be. And then, or we have an industrial space like that. All of a sudden, we're, we're now doing business together. We know, like, and trust each other. And that's really the hardest part for a residential agent or a new agent to understand that that's what you have to do. That is the boot camp that you have to pass through and continue to work with these people because these are the people that are actually going to work with you to get your transaction closed. So that that is mind-blowing. I, I love that, by the way. But when you compare residential and commercial, I'm, everything that you're saying, I'm just thinking, well, how would that apply in residential? And on the residential side, you don't really have, you do have some benefit, but not tremendous benefit of networking with other residential brokers and agents, because you're all going after the same kind of target. Whereas commercial, there's so much more that's not accessible to you from the outside that you have to network with other brokers and other agents within your industry to gain access to the information and the properties that they have to then leverage with your consumers. You're 100% right. If you, if you don't put in the time, you don't get you don't you don't you don't get anything out of it. So, would do you feel that, and this might be really a non-question, you might give me a a Mr. Miyagi response to this, but <laughs> is networking with other brokers and agents more or less important than networking with potential consumers on the outside? Oh, potential consumers on the outside all day long. Okay. Yeah. So it's less important, but still a vital part. You can't really service the consumers without the business-to-business -business networking with brokers and agents. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll 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 go to uh, you know anywhere from three to five networking events with business owners a month, and I may go to one or two uh, for just working with with office brokers or or industrial brokers. So, Crexy, LoopNet, CoStar two-sentence description of each one, how they apply to your operation of your business. Okay, so when I started, LoopNet was was the king. Right. LoopNet was, uh, and, you know, many, many years ago, but LoopNet was the king. And LoopNet was, I mean, just the wild, wild west. Like, you and I could have the same listing on LoopNet for this building. I mean, you have it for sale, I have it for lease, we both have it for sale. And it just depends who you call. And are you really a listing agent, or was I really the listing agent? Anybody could put it up. Anybody could put it up. I've had, I've had stories where I've actually paid referral fees for people who showed me buildings, and it wasn't even there. It was somebody in their office that had the, that had the building. Uh, but um, but yeah, that's so that's that was always interesting uh, way of doing business. So CoStar, the now king who's trying to take over everything in real Massive. estate. Yes. Uh, they have gone ahead and uh, they purchased uh, probably, I don't know, four years ago, they purchased uh, LoopNet. So I relate uh, LoopNet to going to Publix and picking up a real estate magazine and looking for, hey, what's for sale? What's for lease? The problem is that that's all old stuff. And, and it's only the brokers that actually pay for that is what actually exists. And, and LoopNet 
we don't have that, uh, that, that transparency anymore to know what's actually available and what's not. So what happens is then there's the big fish, which is CoStar, mm-hmm. apartments.com, biz buy sell for business brokers, uh, LoopNet, and they have a land one and, and they have all kinds of stuff. And, and so, and I've heard rumors of them going after realtor.com. It's, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so, um, so what happens is that they went ahead and said, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to control the market. We're going to make every broker now use CoStar to go ahead and get the vital information that LoopNet was trying to help out. They were trying to help with lease comps. They were trying to help with sales comps. And they were trying to, you know, if you paid extra, you could get that information. Uh, but, but CoStar's really spent a lot of time and a lot of manpower dominating the market, and that's what they do. So I would say that um, as much as they annoy us, because they do, because of their policies, uh, we have to continue using them because when I need, when I walk out of here and I got to call a client back and they want me to value a property, I can't sit there and start, you know, looking around and trying to figure out, eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, the, the, I think that the difference between residential and commercial is that everybody goes to one source in residential, which to me is great. It's not like that in commercial real estate. In commercial real estate, some properties are on LoopNet, some properties are on, on, on Crexy, some properties are just on the MLS, and there's actually about five other ones that, that people put their, put their properties on. So we don't really know. And then, of course, the off-market properties. Right. So good luck. Right. right. So it goes back to network with your with your fellow brokers and get to know them. The good thing is, um, just like our organization and and, and uh, our world, is it's it's less than ten percent of the whole population of, of all the of all the membership. So and and same with KW Commercial. KW Commercial is twenty five hundred agents nationwide. Well, nationwide we have one hundred eighty thousand active agents. Only twenty five hundred are, are commercial. So, you know, for us, um, you know, I love the organization. I love the way it's done, but we're tiny. We're a tiny amount, but that's good when it comes, when it comes to, and when it comes to, um, uh, networking with the, with these agents. True. And the people that you speak with are are much more specialized in strictly doing that. How do you feel about, um, full-time commercial versus resi-mercial? Yeah, well, I tell everyone, and as was told to me, <laughs> because there was a time when I did uh, residential as well. When I first got in 2002, uh, that was uh, it was a it was a free for all, right? You can sell anything to anybody at that. True, point. true story. Uh, 2002, more, especially definitely more definitely more uh, residential than commercial. So I said, oh, well, you know, I just got in the business. Let's let's try it out. Let's try everything. You know, right? So um, what happened was uh, the 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 fork in the road is. When you get to the point where, okay, now you have traction, and now you're like, okay, let me let people know what I do. And that's where the issue comes in. Now, there are plenty of clients that, that would come to you, Jonathan, and say, listen, I have this building. I really need you. I want you. I trust you. You've been working with me for 10, 15, 20 years. Have us all the time. And, and exactly. I want you to take care of us. And that's fine because that's a trust. That's a trust relationship. But people that are just looking for someone to dispose of their building, that's when they normally look for people who are experts in the area. And the good thing about commercial real estate is there's very few agents that actually know how to market themselves like a residential agent. And I learned so much from residential agents on how to market my business, my website, my team, that I would never, that I would never learn working in a strictly um, 
you know, commercial firm. I feel like residential requires so much more of a marketing type personality. I, I've always said residential real estate is marketing first and relationship second, and then sales somewhere down the road. Yeah. Uh, with commercial, there's not enough focus done on the marketing. There's not enough focus done on the building of the relationship on the front end. It's much more on the back end. If you have an asset that I think will be valuable for my potential business, I'm going to build a relationship with you. Or I'm going to attempt to do so. Yep. Uh, whereas residential is very much warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, we're friends now, and let's see if maybe business comes down the road. Maybe you'll have something or you'll need something, and we'll work together down the road. Um, it's, a, it's a huge difference, a huge disconnect. Have you ever thought about going back to residential? Nope. I have not. I've had my wife tell me, hey, you know, you're doing very good on a, on a commercial team. Why don't you go ahead and, and open up a residential division? And I tell her it's back to the same fork in the road. What is it that I do? What is it that I focus on? I, I don't want to water down my message. So my message is we are strictly a commercial firm. Now, do we do multifamily? Do we do retail? Do we do land? Absolutely we do. I just have different agents that handle that. Right. The, the process of going through a commercial transaction is drastically different, drastically different. Um, and the contracts, I feel like, are much more opened up to uh, modification and, and tweaking them and customizing them, utilizing attorneys, of course, um, I assume. I hope. Okay, making sure. Yep. Making sure I'm on the same page here. No, with no, you, no, right? we're, we're, I, I'm an advocate for that, yes. <laughs> so it, it's much more intricate where you could get in a lot of trouble if you're trying to do this yourself, we're residential, we pretty much write everything ourselves. Fill in the blank. We fill in the blank, plus yeah. open blanks <laughs> and open addendums that people put the craziest stuff into. But I'm sure you see that on the re on the commercial side as well. Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. So what happens is, uh, right away, whoever our clients are, we're, we're we're instructing them to definitely get a get a commercial real estate attorney, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times I tell them, you know, stay away from the title companies because a lot of them don't know, especially leasing. I mean, leasing, we do we do 50% of our business is leasing. The other 50% is sales. So guess what? We need, we need to make sure that we have people that are actually like these. Okay, so a typical lease contract is anywhere from 20 to 60 pages long. It's written by an attorney. Mm -hmm. It's the landlord's attorney, right? Before we get there, Let's talk about the quick steps that it takes to get there. So, Jonathan, you and I, you're my client. We go see a space. We see this building. I love you're, it. And you're like, I Gus, I want to lease it. I want to lease a space, right? So we go ahead and we go ahead and, and go ahead and um, find the, uh, find the, the, the agent. Uh, we we, we saw it like it. And then we're going to go ahead and ask the agent, or I'm going to ask the agent, listen, give us a lease proposal. Give us a letter of intent, mm -hmm. right? We want to know what the landlord wants. And then we're going to go ahead and negotiate that. Those are the business terms. Once the business terms are negotiated on both sides, then we go into financial review. So then, okay, Jonathan, guess what? Location real estate, they want to go ahead and find out the last two years' financials from the company, P&L, balance sheet, and then so they feel comfortable leasing to you. Once that gets approved, now the landlord calls up his attorney or her attorney and says, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and issue them our lease. Now the lease is, I tell everyone, as far as the rights, right? The business terms have already been negotiated, but now come the rights. And that's the hardest part for us 
as real estate agents to understand. Because now every word that is that means something that we think we know what it means, but we're not 100% sure, uh, those are the issues that we, we fall into. And normally, a landlord will hand over a lease that's 70% rights for the, for the landlord, 30% rights for the, uh, for the tenant. And the tenant attorney's job is to go ahead and kind of even that out, whether it's 50-50, 60-40, whatever they can do. Because there's a lot of rights in there, like for an example, if you signed a lease and you sold your business five years from now and you had a 10-year lease, let's mm -hmm. say, there might be a clause in your lease that you didn't read or didn't understand that says, guess what? 30% of the profits from selling the business Ooh. are now given to the landlord. Ooh. And people don't realize that. And I've seen them over and over, and I'm like, you should have had representation. And so they get stuck in that situation. And they don't sell for another five years. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly they get right. stuck. Yeah, yeah. So when you renew the lease is when you get rid of those clauses that could really hurt your business. So we're, we're going to do a lightning round here of questions. All right. Um, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a term or maybe two words. And I just want from you the first sentence or first comment that comes to your head. Okay. Office leasing. Office leasing. Um, do it for a minimum of five years. There you go. Okay. Uh, retail storefronts. Careful how the lease is structured. Shopping centers, shopping malls. Great, great asset uh, if the owner and the property manager know how to run. Um, business to business sales. You may lose your license and <laughs> may go to jail. <laughs> I love it. Uh, last one, multifamily. Multifamily is. One of the hottest sectors in commercial real estate with the lowest cap rates around. I love that. And that's why so many people look for it. Let's, let's talk about current trends, where the market is right now. And then we're going to look into the glass ball, the crystal ball, not glass, crystal, right? And talk about where this is going or what you're excited about to see in the future of your industry. So current trends right now, what's happening in the different sectors of commercial as we've been affected by the pandemic? coming out of it into some type of, on the residential side, shifting market. Are things shifting in commercial? Are things up, down, what's hot, what's not? Well, that's a really simple one, Jonathan. I'll give you, those, <laughs> give you that one pretty quick. So I'm a big office, uh, you know, sales and leasing. And, uh, and it's been tough. It's been tough in the office world because of the pandemic. Right. Because everyone's afraid. They don't want to lease what we normally lease are 10,000, 15,000 square feet of office space, which is pre pretty much on a high rise is one floor. Um, not happening anymore. So now these floors are being split up into three, four, five different offices. And that's the way it's, that's the way it's, being, it's being leased. It's just broken right. down much into smaller spaces. People tenants. do not want to lease as large as they used to. So there's been a lot of downsizing since the pandemic. Is that because they don't want the larger floor, uh, footprint? Is it uh, reducing overhead and expense? Um, just your opinion, obviously, yep. you don't know for sure. 
um, or I'm not sure if you do. I think I do. Okay. <laughs> so in office, yeah, in office leasing, it's really simple. There is no reduction of rent. Like if, if you're at $24 a square foot for your base rent and $12 a square foot for operating expenses, which is $36 a square foot, mm -hmm. you know, you have 10,000 square feet, you're paying $30,000 a month all day long, right? And then next year, it's going to go up three or 4% on the base side and it's just going to continue, continue to grow from there. Um, what happens is that people go ahead and and it's it's all it's just numbers. If it's if it's not ten thousand square feet, it's a thousand square feet. Well, guess what? This thousand square feet are probably the same numbers, twenty four and twelve. So people are like, listen, we'll figure it out. We have people now, like in real estate, working at home, and so they'll figure out. Hey, listen, let's get our our, our bookkeeping division and have them work out of the house, or have them work in even a different office that's like a. C-class building because there's A, B, and C. And so A is A-class A buildings are the ones, the best ones, the best buildings. Mm -hmm. B-class are when, you know, people kind of, clients come in and out and, you, you know, you want a good presence, but it doesn't have to be the ultimate presence. And then C-class is, you know, telemarketing companies. They have and employees metal, metal detectors at the door. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, so office sector, it's it's all consolidated. Smaller spaces, broken down, that's what people are looking for. So the pandemic did the craziest thing that I never expected. So I lease space Dade and Broward, right? So Dade County, it's just blown up, but only in the A-class sector. Why? Because fintech, because all these crypto companies and banking type of companies or venture capitalist firms, they all came to, first they came to Brickell, then they showed up in Wynwood, and now they're moving into downtown um, Miami, which was it was a, not a good not a good marketplace. But they've fixed up all a lot of these buildings right. in the past few years. So what happens is our rental rates used to be on the top end, sixty dollars a square foot, which which means you take ten thousand square feet, multiply it times five, and that's your that's that's what you're paying, right? And these are Class A. Class A buildings. Okay. Now. They're eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars a square foot. My God. Yeah, and 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 here's the here's the kicker. Your vacancy rate is how we measure how popular they are. Our vacancy rate in Class A office space in the city of Miami is less than five percent. That's unheard of. So there's nothing available. Nothing available. Nothing Interesting. Available. It's crazy. Now, we go to B and C, and it's like the desert versus the oasis. It's there's 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 so much available, I, especially I, C and even more like B. So, my thinking of what's going to happen is well, these first let's start with C class buildings. They're going to be changed. They have to. They're going to have to fit them differently. They're going. It's going to have to be something different. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be um, a multifamily building because that's very difficult to retrofit. Yeah, especially. And, and multifamily buildings have their own way of looking, and, and so it's going to be difficult, I think, to get to that point. But definitely, it might be something where it's maybe some flex space now, because um, I've seen it already happen, and uh, or, and some retail, depending where, where the office building is located. If it's some locating off of a main thoroughfare, then you better believe that first floor is going to have a lot of retail facing the road. Do you see a trend of perhaps uh, C, Class C buildings that are trying to upgrade and change the overall look and feel of the building to try and appeal to maybe a secondary tenant that can't get into a Class A because of the uh, the demand? If the location is right. Right. Yeah, if the location is right. The, the one thing about, about C-Class building is that they're is. kind of in blue-collar type oh, of neighborhoods. Okay. So, therefore, it's very difficult to do that. Um, 
the good thing is for, for a C-Class owner is if they have enough square footage of lot size, then you'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a developer that'll come in and says, yeah, we want the building, we'll buy the building, we'll tear it down, we're gonna put retail on the first floor and, and build up 10 stories. And redevelop for uh, best use. Exactly right. <clears throat> okay, uh, moving into different sectors, uh, current trends on warehouses, industrial. Sure, industrial's next. So industrial is the other, is the other uh, is hot sector in uh, commercial real estate. The reason is, wasn't the pandemic. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. It had to do with, with e-commerce. E-commerce and, and not having enough inventory, not having enough space down here. Uh, probably seven years ago, I was in a few different um, conferences that were all commercial conferences. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying, guys, we don't, we don't have enough. We have probably, I think it was Dave Broward in Palm Beach. We had 300, I think it was 300 million square feet of of office space, I mean, of warehouse space, which is not a lot because Amazon could just lease a million by themselves, yeah. you know, and, and a few of them. So the difference is they would show New York, and New York had 800 million back then, seven years ago. Chicago had a billion. LA had like 1.2 or 1.3 billion square feet. And they're like, you know, for Miami and South Florida to make it as a, as a metropolitan area, especially, there's so much. We got, Port of Miami, we got Port Everglades. We're, it's a big, big, huge hub here. Mm-hmm. So what happens is to get to that point, we're going to need to go ahead and get to you know um, a point where where all this warehouse space we have enough of it, and then so all these big merchants are going to come in and, and, and lease from us. But there's 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 so much demand for this down here. What has to change? Or I guess we'll talk about this in the in the future trends, but. Let's, before we get into the future trends, let's sure. stay on current stuff. So, okay, talked about office, talked about industrial. Let's let's try and, and do retail and multifamily kind of in, in one loop here sure. uh, before we get into future trends. Um, where is the market now on multifamily? It's still hot down here. For Super hot. Super right? hot, yeah. I mean, uh, we have, we have uh, sellers that want to sell, but they want to sell at a number that that may or may not work for a buyer. What do I mean? Uh, we normally have cap rates anywhere from from four percent to to six percent. Well, they're under that, and under that is it's very difficult for a buyer to say, "Yeah, I'll take the risk. I'll buy the I'll buy the I'll buy the uh, the I call it the business, but it's actually the property." And at that point, we don't know. We don't know if there if, if one little hiccup, right? One little. Uh, uh, a few, a few, uh, this or that happens, breaks and so on and so forth. A leak in the roof, who knows? And all these things are gonna, you're gonna be in negative it for hits, the, for the and year. And then it hits your bottom line, and your uh, your investment went to crap. Absolutely, absolutely. So we we've talked about where we are right now and what's happened. Uh, what are you excited about? Where are the different niches in the industry, the commercial side of the industry, going? What's what's going to happen with retail? What's going to happen? Uh, is all this e-commerce going to do away where retail is not really needed anymore? Um, are offices do- changing? What What is changing in the future? Or what are you excited to see in your industry? So as I told you before, Jonathan, I came from the service side of the retail um, sector of uh, commercial real estate as a gym owner. And um, I think services are always going to be here. I think restaurants are always going to be here. People are not going to want to go and and, and cook if they don't have to, and they want to try a new place out, they want to go to the bar, they want to go to, to whatever it might be, all different types of experiences, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so I think they're still going to dominate the, um, the, the, the retail industry. Now, the big boxes, you know, eventually we're going to lose them little by little. I, I think those are, those are the ones that, are, that, that a landlord, that a property owner is going to have to say, you know what, I don't know if a Ross 40, 50,000 square feet is something that, that we can continue or they're going to continue to want to pay that, those numbers on rent. And so Publix, yes, absolutely. Uh, Whole Foods and, and all the different uh, grocery stores because people still need food, and, and, and that's always going to be a, that's right. always a staple in the, in the industry. But, but as far as clothing and so on and so forth, these are, these are the type of inventory items that, that I think are, you know, are going into, are going into, um, uh, into, into you know, warehousing instead of, and that brings another stress on industrial. Right, so and and Kroger, Kroger's not from here, but guess what? They're renting uh, warehouse space, big warehouse space, and they have a bunch of trucks delivering to everybody, and say, hey, we'll give you, you know, they're trying to get everybody in. We'll give you fifteen dollars off every order for the first three orders, as long as you, as long as you go ahead. And so that means they're going to try one, they're going to try two, they're going to try five, they're going to try ten, and then eventually they're going to bring their stores in. But that's going to be good for a, a landlord because they're going to say, oh, well. Ross, you can leave. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get uh, Kroger in there. Move something else in. Yeah. What, what I've seen a lot is um, you see some, some new style construction being popped up. You see instead of the old school shopping malls and strip centers, you're seeing some of these open air malls where it's very walkable. It's kind of an afternoon for people. They'll go there. They can eat in one spot, shop in another. There's a fashion designer across the street and a... Uh, not necessarily big box, but more fashion-oriented big box, not like a Ross or a TJ Maxx or something, but like an H&M, right? Correct. That are going into these open-air malls. They're, they're becoming more trendy. Do you see old-school shopping malls converting into some of this new style, or shopping malls will always be shopping malls? I don't think shopping malls, which we call the, 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 you know, the big national or regional malls, mm-hmm. uh, the Simon malls, the West, uh, West, Westfield malls. Right. Uh, these are, are, are gonna, are gonna, there's, there's, there's already, the clock is ticking and it, it, it is gonna, it is gonna fall apart. Okay. But guess what? These are on 10 acres. Huge. Yeah. 15 acres, 20 acres, whatever it is. And so this is where you're going to go ahead and put these these malls that you call them the, the, the walkable malls, which we call lifestyle centers. Lifestyle centers. Lifestyle that centers. Sounds so much fancier. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, they're going to put multifamily, and they're going to put retail, and they're going to put a lot of restaurants and and, and, yeah, and boutique they, type they of stores. They probably mix in, right? You have yeah. the, there's one that opened right down the street from my house not too long ago. Um, they call it uh, Uptown Boca. So yeah. it's outdoor shopping. It's a lifestyle center. And there's a condo complex, an apartment building. There's all different residential that mixed into it to change what used to be just a flat piece of nothing into commercial centers that are servicing themselves through the residential aspect and the people that need it. it it's a really interesting concept. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, listen, I, I, like I said before, I'm from Chicago. They, they were doing that when I was a kid in Chicago. They were, they, you know, the, these big buildings had retail on the first floor. And then everyone lived above it. Right. So I'm kind of used to that. And I was like, well, these multi-use properties. So that's where that's where the trends are going. I believe they're going multi-use. How about office space? Where, where is office space going? Office space is always needed. So the reason I believe office space is always needed and the big, the big office 
uh, agents throughout the country believe it is, is because office uh, employees need to collaborate. They need to sit down. They need to talk. Just like you and I are here today mm -hmm. talking in a room, they need to go ahead and talk about ideas. And it's very difficult to always do it via Zoom or via phone call. Uh, sometimes you just got to be in front of each other and kind of w work things out. So I think um, now that, you know, the pandemic is, is, is not, uh, not growing anymore, so people are not as afraid to be around each other, mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, at that point um, we people are, have, have come back. Uh, we had so many office buildings that were just, the tenant was paying rent and nobody was there. And that, we saw that for, you know, 12, 18 months. But now people are starting to come back. And, um, and you know, there's companies, uh, you know, Elon Musk said, hey, come back or you're fired. Uh, we personally believe that was because he just needed to fire people. <laughs> a difference of opinion. Difference yep. of opinion. So, uh, all right, last, last two questions for you. Uh, first off, is there anything that you follow or a speaker that you listen to that has become an impact or influential in your business or your life? So as far as a speaker or, or someone who's been influential in my life, uh, uh, of our KW commercial, we have actually two female presidents, uh, Cynthia Lee and Alicia Shepard. And Alicia Shepard is one of my coaches. And she's a mom of four kids and uh, has about uh, five different businesses and just so happens to have a team and is running KW commercial. So I, I look up to her and she's, she's definitely taught us a lot. Uh, the last course I took with her was a 90-day course. It was called Seven Figures in 90 Days. So it was teaching us how to grow our pipeline uh, to a million dollars. I like it. And it was crazy, and I did it. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you know, slowly starting to reap the rewards from that. Impactful. Yeah. Um, last thing, how do, yeah. We get, how do we find you? How do we find me? Well, um, the, uh, you can Google Gus Martinez uh, Commercial Real Estate. I have a website, uh, which is uh, martinezteamcommercial.com. And my, my, I have a good uh, team that's uh, admin team that they work on my social media. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on uh, Facebook. So uh, you can find the Martinez team or Martinez team commercial um, in those, those different uh, portals. Awesome. Sometimes you'll find your business on the residential side. Sometimes you'll find your business on the commercial side. But wherever you are, find a specialization for yourself, and that's no bull. Thanks for coming, Gus. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate you.